my wife and I skiing for the first time, and we were in Snowbird, Utah, and it, it, it uh, snowed 60 inches while we were there, and we had an amazing time. I've never been in fresh powder like this. Uh, if, in case you don't know, 60 inches of snow is more snow than my son has height. So if I were to drop him in a pile of snow, you wouldn't see his head. Uh, and it was amazing. And uh, my son is too young to actually go to ski school. So when I say I took my son skiing, you have to uh, imagine that I'm, I'm here. I have to hold him between my legs as we go down the mountain. And, and as you can imagine, with a uh, two-year-old uh, doing that, you're not doing uh, black runs or blue runs. And in case you're not a skier, those are the ones that are a lot steeper. And uh, I was surprised by how good of a time I had. You see, I'm, I'm the guy who is the first on, last off. Uh, the thing I love about skiing is doing that black run that I think I'm about to die on and then doing it several more times until I can do it faster and faster and then don't actually die. Uh, one of my favorite experiences is doing gladed runs where you're kind of in between the trees. And uh, I think to myself, if I'm not paying attention, I could die. Uh, some of you will understand if you're that kind of that you really enjoy that kind of exhilarating, almost going to die but have a great time experience. And so you can imagine what a change it was for me to go from that to being literally on a green run for hours with my son going between, uh, holding him between my legs and thinking, I'm working harder holding him between my legs going on this very slow run than if I'm dive-bombing dive it down black. And, and I just had such a great, wonderful time. And then uh, my son and uh, wife went home, and I was there, and a friend was going to come up to go skiing with me. And I was having this amazing time. 60 inches of powder. You could fall from like, you, nothing would happen. You would amazing. And yet, I was up at midnight worried about skiing the next day. I was worried because I didn't want Zach to think less of me if I couldn't keep up with him. Uh, I, was, I was worried that, that, you know, here I am, I'm a little older, and I've skied now three days with my son, wearing out my legs, going slow, that I had a little aches. What if I can't keep up with this guy? I didn't want him to think less of me. I didn't want to hold him back. And it's silly, right? It's silly because Zach came to go skiing with me because I had this influence. Time in his life, I, I helped him through a very difficult time to become an emergency physician. And so he came to spend time with me because he respected me and because we had this relationship. But here I am at midnight, 60 inches of powdery snow and an amazing opportunity to ski. And at midnight, I can't sleep because I'm worried about what my friend Zach might think of me if I can't keep up with him. And it was in that moment this last week that I felt the, the spirit stir within me saying, you need more of the Christmas story in your life. Have you ever found yourself feeling like you got to impress the people around you? That if you let them see your weaknesses or your frailties or your fears or your failures, that somehow you'll be missing the boat? Do you ever feel like if people can see what's really under the hood, they wouldn't want to be your friend anymore? Maybe you think that if people actually knew the uncertainties you had, the thoughts that you never want anyone to know, that somehow they would think less of you. If there's something that you actually can't do on your own, but you're afraid to admit it, 
And so you fake it till you think you can make it. Maybe you need more of the Christmas story in your life as well. You see, on VE Day, which stands for Victory in Europe Day, the Allied forces rolled into Europe as victors. And prior to that, they had been rolling into concentration camps as powerful victors, forcing the Nazis to let the uh, prisoners go and uh, forcing people to be set free. And people cheered them on. They came in as powerful victors. And we like strength. We like power. We like success. We like the flag being lifted up over Iwo Jima. We like the flag being lifted up over Baghdad. We cringe at the scene of the American flag being taken down in Afghanistan or in uh, Saigon in Vietnam because we value power and victory and success. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing wrong with hard-earned victories. But when it comes to Christmas, there's something very different, isn't there? Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time had come for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In a world that preaches success and power and setting yourself up and being better than the next person, God came as a vulnerable, innocent, can't-do-anything-for-himself baby. God came as one who was completely dependent on others. Had one who at that moment had nothing to offer those who were around him. And so when we think about Christmas, we have to remember that the God of the universe came into a world as oppressed, having nothing as vulnerable and weak. He came to a couple who were so poor that they lived in a nothing town between the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. This town was so small, it had no known religious or political leaders. And in fact, there's no extra biblical reference to the town of Nazareth for over 200 years. In fact, in John chapter 1, the town was so small and insignificant, that Nathaniel says, could anything good come out of Nazareth? God doesn't come to a powerful priestly family. He doesn't come to political leaders. He doesn't come to the successful uh, lawyers or teachers or politicians. He doesn't come to those who have anything. But he st instead, he comes to those who have nothing. In fact, the Christmas story is an affront to power. It's an affront to all the things we try to hold on to that we think will give us peace. The Christmas story is an affront to our concept of success and power and hope and hopefulness. It's an affront to all the things that we would put our life's hopes in. Jesus comes 
not as one with power, not as one with possessions, but he comes to those who are oppressed. He comes to those who are poor. He comes to desolation in desolation. And as I think about this, I'm reminded that Jesus doesn't just come to be God with us, but the with us God. You see, we, we think of God with us, and he is. But Jesus doesn't come to be just God with us, but the with us God. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, think of it this way. You have cancer, and someone drives you to the doctor's office. They're with you. But when you tell somebody that they were with you in it, there's something different than them just being there. There's something different than them just showing up and being present. When you say that they were with you in it, there's something about them being right there in the moment that when you are feeling all alone, lost, and like you have nothing, you feel like they're right next to you in the thick of it all. And when Jesus comes in this moment as this vulnerable baby in a world of desolation to desolation and poverty in weakness and vulnerability, he doesn't come just as God with us, but the with us God. Think about that. Have you ever longed not to necessarily have someone fix your problem, but to have them with you in the moment so that when you have your suffering, your fear, your uncertainty, you feel like there's someone who's got you, who you're not in it alone. You have someone who when you, are, you feel crippled in bed because your rheumatoid arthritis won't let you get out, or when you're losing your hair because you have cancer and you don't know how long you have, or when you're facing uh, an unexpected pregnancy and you don't know how you're going to make it. You don't just want someone who's going to drive you to your chemo appointment. And you don't just want someone who's going to give you diapers. But there's something about a God who will be the with you God in the very moment of your pain. And somehow, no matter how much money someone gives you, rather than their money and the possessions that they can give you to get through, there's something about them just being with you in the midst of it all. And you see, when we look at the Old Testament, we see God was powerful. God was with his people. He delivered them. He was there for them. He provided for them. He did miracles to deliver them from Egypt, uh, from Babylon, from Persia. He, he worked to deliver his people. But in Jesus Christ, God wasn't just the with us. It wasn't just God with us, but he became the with us God. That he would sit with us in our vulnerabilities, and our uncertainties, in our fears, with almost with nothing but his naked presence, literally his naked presence. What will you do with Jesus today? What will you do with the Christmas story? Do you ever feel like you have to justify your existence? Do you feel like you have to get good grades in school? Do you have to have that good paying job, the nice home, the nice gifts for others, the nice car, the nice clothes? Do you feel like you have to have the nice retirement account? All the things that you would put your hope in, the things that would commend you to others. And when you come to Christmas, is Christmas about the God who gave up everything 
and comes into the world with nothing to walk with you in your vulnerabilities? Or do you think of God as the one who's to clean up all the things you have? Think about Hallmark stories. I'm not a Hallmark Channel person. In fact, my wife tells me I have to get out of the room when she's watching Hallmark Channel stories because I'm going to roll the eyes and she's going to hear my comments under my breath. But what's the classic Christmas Hallmark story? Did you know the Hallmark Channel actually has like a special sub-segment that's just Christmas stories uh, 365 days a year? And during this season, they have like, they double down and do extra specials. And in fact, they have, uh, as their part of their programming, they try to do 10 new Christmas shows a year that they produce. So the Hallmark Channel has this. But what's the classic Hallmark Christmas story? The classic Hallmark Christmas story is generally somebody from the big city who has a high-powered job, a lot of things, a busy travel schedule, and a rocky relationship. That's the classic Hallmark story. And what happens? They go to a small town. They get in touch with kind of the roots and family. They realize that they have all this stuff and it's weighing them down, and what they really need to do is kind of like parse it out, get down to the things that are most important, and really value the people they have. And then they can buy them nice gifts, drink the hot cocoa, and, and go to the Christmas pageant at the church, and they can celebrate, right? But the Hallmark story is really about God going to people with stuff, helping them manage their stuff better, and therefore having happiness. And do you realize the actual Christmas story is an affront to the very thing that Hallmark would sell us? Hallmark wants to tell you, you can pursue those things, you just gotta get them better organized, and then you're gonna be happy. And the Christmas story tells us that none of that will make us happy. The Christmas story tells us that we spend our time putting hope and a lot of things that will let us down. And when we come to the Christmas story, we come to a baby born in poverty, born with nothing, to a family that was subject to the goodwill of somebody who let them lay their baby in a feeding trough for animals, a family that was vulnerable and had nowhere to lay their son's head, a family that had nothing. And in the Christmas story, we're led to ask ourselves, what would we put our hope in? Would we put our hope in the with us God? Or would we put our hope in the things we hope that God will give us? Will we hold on to a God who will be with us through thick and thin, the best of times and the worst of times, through seasons of plenty and seasons of poverty, through our fears, our uncertainties, and our disappointments? Or would we rather have the tangible money that we can hold, gifts that we can wear, cars that we can drive, and the tangible things that this world would offer us? And so this, this evening, when we think about the Christmas story, the question we have to ask is, what will we do with the manger? You know, one reason why I say I need more of the Christmas story is last year, literally less than a year ago, just by a few days, 
I preached and I said, we need to be a people who look for a manger in a world looking for thrones. And we need to be a people who look to the cave in a world that looks for palaces. But here I was at midnight on a mountain in Utah. And I was worried what somebody would think if I couldn't just keep up with them on a black diamond going down a mountain. And I thought to myself, I need more of the Christmas story. I need to look at a God who will come as a vulnerable baby with nothing and ask myself, have I put my hope in the with us God? Or I just want a God who will be with me and all my things. But as you think about what you would do with the manger, I'd like us to look at the shepherds for a few moments because I think that they help us to see how we ought to respond. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrathed in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. I want you to notice what the shepherds did. The shepherds are out in the fields at night. And in case this doesn't strike you, you have to realize the birth announcement of the coming of the coming of the king of kings the lord of lords the hope of nations israel's consolation the prince of peace the wonderful counselor was not made to kings was not made to religious leaders was not made to the wealthy it was made to some poor shepherds in the fields and they had a choice they could walk away in incredulity and being like, this is impossible. We are having a late night winter fantasy, a dream, a nightmare, or a hope, whatever. They could have said, this is unbelievable. There's no, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Bethlehem's a nothing town. This is unbelievable. Or they could have said, totally, God's here, and just walked away. But between credulity and incredulity, they investigated. They said, come, let's see what has been told to us. Some of us in this room have walked in incredulity. We've said, we don't believe this Christmas story. And by our lives, we've actually lived like we don't believe it. You may show up at church, but in your life, you can live like you don't believe it. Because every day you pursue power and success as your hope. We pursue things in this world to make us secure. We can live like we don't actually believe it, even if we're in church. Some of us, on the other hand, will say we just believe it because it's been told to us. 
but we never actually look for ourselves. The shepherds didn't just believe the angels. They also didn't just ignore the angels. They investigated. They said, come, let us see what has been told to us. And tonight, one of the invitations is, will you look at Jesus? Will you see the child in the manger? Will you think maybe for the first time of what it really means to have a God who came as a vulnerable baby in a world that looks for power and success? In a world that wants promises for things and security, will you look to have hope in a God who just says, I'm promising to be with you. That's my promise. In a world that would promise you cures from cancer, security for stock markets, would you look to a God that says, I'm coming as a vulnerable baby and I will be with you? And have you really looked at what that would mean for your life? You see, the shepherds, they don't just believe the angels. They don't ignore them, but they investigate. Some of us have not opened our Bible in a very long time. And some of us have not looked at the Bible to actually see if it's true. Martin Luther, a famous theologian you may have heard of, once called the Bible the cradle of Christ. Because he saw the Bible as our manger, the way, we go, they, the way the shepherds went to the manger to see Jesus, we go to the Bible to see Christ. And his challenge was that we, just like the shepherds, ought to be people who will look at Scripture to see if what they have been told was true. Will you look at Scripture in a world Right now, between Twitter and news, they're either bashing the Bible for making you crazy or they're telling you you need to hold on to something more tightly. We have people who will believe what the news or Twitter or people say about the Bible more than actually reading the Bible to decide for themselves. And this evening, part of the Christmas story invites us to be like the shepherds. In a world that tells you how Christians think and what Christians do, and you have the people say, Jesus could never be a Democrat, and then those who say Jesus could never be a Republican, would you read the Bible and ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus be like? Would you look into the word of God for yourselves? In a world that would try to tell you everything about God, will you look to his own word as he tells you about himself? The shepherds don't just believe and they don't just disbelieve, they investigate. And this morning, part of this evening, part of the Christmas story is they stepped into the Christmas story by investigating. And so we think, what will we do with Jesus, a baby in a manger? And we have the opportunity to be like the shepherds and to investigate. Lastly, when we look at the Christmas story, I want us to talk and think about light. This is what it says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. When John tells us about what we call the incarnation, God entering human flesh as a baby, he tells us that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And he says that life was coming into the world. They're going to dim the lights in here, Hooven or Caleb, whoever. They're going to dim the lights in here. And you can turn down, the, turn down the lights that are on me too. And I want you to think for a moment about light. You see, what John says is the light, the light of life entered into the world. And he said the darkness could not overcome it. These lights have been the same from the beginning till now. But you see them differently because of the darkness that has come into the room. I think they're going to darken these soon. And as you think about the light, you have to realize that the light was created for the darkness. You see, how many, how many of you turn the flashlight on when you're outside in broad daylight? You don't, right? It, you turn on a flashlight when you're in the dark. The light is designed to bring illumination to the dark. And so we have the light of life in us because Jesus came into the world to be the light of life. One of the problems we have, though, church, is that we want the life of Christ without the light of Christ. You ever thought about that? We want the life of Christ without the light of Christ. We don't want the light to come into our darkness. Sure, if we're lost, we want the light. But when the light comes into our <laughs> lives, I have no idea what they're doing. There's something about the light, though, that's really disturbing to us. Because God's light doesn't just show us the way. God's light reveals that in us. Thank you. God's light reveals that in us, which needs to be given to him. God's light doesn't just show us the way, but it reveals that in us, which needs to be given to him. You see, we, we can hide parts of our lives and compartmentalize them, and we can say we want the life of Christ but when that light comes into the dark corners of our lives, we have a choice on whether or not we will embrace the light that is Christ, or we can choose to hold on to the darkness that we would keep from him. You see, when Jesus comes as the light of life, he comes to the darkness of the world, but also to illuminate the darkness that is in us. He comes so that that which is in us that would steal our joy can be revealed 
and that we might give it to him. And so when we think about what the light is, we realize that the light is for the darkness. And in each of our lives, we have the opportunity to embrace the light of Christ, that the darkness in us might be given to him. So this evening, we get to ponder, what will we do with a baby in a manger in a world that looks for power and success? Will we put our hopes in our own accomplishments? Will we instead lean into the vulnerability of a God who is the with us God? We can look at the shepherds and we can either say, we're just going to believe it and not think twice about it. Or we can say, we're not going to believe it. It's too crazy. Or we can be like them and investigate and see what is truly that of God. And we can think about the light of life that was Jesus, that was meant to light up the darkness in our lives. Let's take a moment and bring our lives before God. Father, it's easy for us to get caught up in a Christmas season with wonderful gifts. And we like the Hallmark stories because we like the idea of having a lot of things and success. And we love the idea of a God who would just bring order to our things. But it's so much harder, Father, for us to hold on to the hope of a with us God. Father, each and every one of us has things in our lives that we have held on to in place of a God who comes as a baby. We respond to political problems and problems in the world with politics and pursuits of power we listen to people argue about issues of the day and we don't preach a God who comes as a baby. We talk about pursuing mangers and caves, but we long for thrones and palaces. We have a God who is in swaddling cloths and we look for nice coats and fancy cars. Father, we have gotten really good at holding on to the life you give without allowing your light to come into the dark places of our lives. God came down at Christmas time. The vulnerable of vulnerable to redeem that which was most vulnerable. Father, help us in this moment to see the glory of your son Jesus, who came not as a victor on a chariot, not as a conquering king slaying everybody, not a Lord who is forcing subjugation, but as a 
vulnerable, dependent, having nothing baby. And may our lives forever be changed because this Christmas will be like the shepherds. We will investigate and see what has been told to us. In Jesus' name, amen.